Welcome to Our Family Stories, the only podcast that shares stories about my awesome family. We have the Waits, the McKinleys, the Smolens, the Crofts, and the Clausens. And we have a few visitors here and there. I love you guys, and I hope you all enjoy this episode of Our Family Stories. Welcome to this episode of uh, Dad talking about his work experience, uh, working, doing a work mission, and this will be, I wanted to record his mission experience, and when I went to ask him about it, I had totally forgotten that he had basically served two different missions. And so this first one, this is all about his work mission, all the stories that belong to that. And then we will do a recording soon here that talks about his experiences on his proselyting mission, which should be great as far as that goes. The one thing that I love so much about dad is his willingness to serve. And I feel like he's always wanted to serve and take care of people around him and I thought that this mission that he went on was just uh, highlighted that and I think that it was a cool experience I wish that 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 was available to to more people even you know just to have like a summer to go out and to do that I think I think is a really cool opportunity for him and really cool to listen to so hope you all enjoy and we'll talk to you later. Ready? Okay, I'm recording now. I think where we can start that is maybe talk about kind of what you were doing prior to this. Maybe like what what gave you the inspiration to go and kind of, you know, what was the what was going on getting getting onto this mission. Okay. Uh, Nineteen. Uh, 64, uh, March, I, I turned 18. And uh, about a week after that, our state president, Pre- President Ernest Anderson, called all the boys between 18, 19, and 20 to come to a special meeting with their parents. And so my parents and my myself, uh, my brother Grant was on his mission, so he didn't go, but Anyway, we went to the special meeting the stake was having. And at that meeting, they said that they needed, they were going to build a stake center there in the Grand, and they were going to do it with work missionaries. And because of the, using uh, work missionaries, they needed a few men in our stake, in Union State, to go on a mission and do a building mission. So just out of high school, I wasn't prepared to, go to college yet, and I thought it would be a good idea to go out and learn something about the building trade. 
So I put my application in. My parents thought it would be a good idea for me and because they needed to work missionaries. And so in June, I received my call after filling out the application that I would be called to the Canadian uh, mission, uh, work mission, building mission. And President Rosenbaum would be my mission president. And I would leave in Ju July. So the latter part of July, I think it was about the 20th of July, uh, I was supposed to be up in Calgary by the 22nd, I think. Uh, so we made arrangements, and I the first time I ever flew an airport plane is I went over to Pendleton because they didn't have a big enough airport in La Grande, and flew out of the Pendleton to Sandy uh, to Spokane, and then from Spokane I went to Calgary. They flew directly to Calgary, and of course I was all wide-eyed because I'd never been in an airplane before, and it's <laughs> kind of exciting. <laughs> Anyway, we got up there, and I'm at the mission president, and he put us either in the mission home or motel, I can't remember, but a place to sleep. And we stayed there a couple of days, and in talking with the mission president, he needed to have the, the two mission, and my companion and myself, to drive two brand-new Chevy pickups down to the southern Alberta. Uh, Calgary is lo uh, located about in the little lower than the central Alberta, but so I met my companion. His name was Stephen Carpenter. He was from Sandy, Utah, and he was a year older than I was, and uh, he wanted to go on a work mission also. So we got in our pickups the next morning, and we drove, I don't know, probably a couple hundred kilometers. They didn't use miles. They used kilometers up in uh, Canada. And we went to the first place to drop off a pickup. It was in Champion, Alberta. Now, we went with the bishop, and uh, he stood about 6'8", and weighed about 350. Uh, <laughs> he was a great big man, and we found that the whole ward was great big guys. <laughs> and uh, anytime I said, I've been the ch champion, did you ever meet the bishop and all the ward members are big people? And they were. They were, were 6'8", and... Weighed 350, man, they were big. Anyway, we dropped off the pickup, and uh, Brother Carpenter and I drove down to Lethbridge, Alberta. Now, Lethbridge is only about 60 miles from the border, the southern border of, uh, of to the United States. And there I met my supervisor. His name was Aaron Hansen. He is going to be the supervisor in charge of building a addition on a building in a little small ward outside of Lethbridge, about eight miles, it was called Diamond City. So we spent the night, I think, at Brother Hansen's house, and he had a nice big two-story house, we stayed in it, and then we drove uh, out to the mission that next day. But it was the 24th of July celebration when we met, and they had all, all the ward members. The ward was only about 150 population in the ward, but they all had, they're all actually like 125 to 130 came out to their chapel every, every Sunday. The area was a farming area. It used to be Diamond City was called Diamond City because of the coal, the black coal, black diamonds they called it, but uh, 
Coalhurst and Diamond City. So underground, they had huge coal mines. And this is back in the 30s and 40s when they had this. So Diamond City was a small community. It only had about, I would say, five to six grain elevators, a general store and a post office in the general store, and maybe 10 or 15 families and a community center and a Mormon church outside. <laughs> <laughs> and the people at this 24th of July celebration, we met with the ward members and had a potluck. And I remember after that, they in a corral, they rounded out a bunch of old wild cows. And some of the men, instead of riding bulls, they rode cows. <laughs> and, of course, we all had our full of uh, good homemade cooking and stuff like that. And the first family I stayed with is the bishop, and his name was Matt Russell. And uh, Maddie Russell was his wife, and they had five children. The oldest one was on a mission to, to Japan. Then they had a daughter who was about 18, was that uh, winter she's going to go to the University of Edmonton. And then they had a daughter about 16 and a daughter about 13 and a boy who was, was named David. He was about 10 years old. And Dave and I, we did a lot of playing around with each other. And it's fun to, to, you know, he had an older brother instead of two older, three older sisters, pretty close to him. But anyway, he was a good kid, and we had a lot of fun. He liked to play games and stuff like that. So the next day after meeting the bishop, and, and uh, I stayed down in the basement uh, at the bishop's house. And so, so did the, you? Did you and your companion stay there, or was no, it just, just you? No, just me. He was staying in another family. Okay. On a work mission, uh, we stayed with the families, and they, I think they gave us anywhere 15 to $30. I can't remember how much money they gave us a month for our work. Okay. It was pretty cheap because uh, yeah. we, worked, we worked pretty hard. Uh, anyway, we got over to the, the church house, and, and every morning at, at, I think at 7 or 8, we met. And my my companion and myself and uh, pre, uh, brother Hansen, who was our we call him our supervisor, and he was a a seventy one of the presidents of seventy in the Lethbridge State, and so he did a lot of missionary work also. But he was very knowledgeable about the gospel, uh, very active, had a great great family, and uh, we were able to. Uh, become very familiar with one another, and we told our history and uh, all about us and stuff like that. Now, Brother Hansen was a very spiritual man, and we went through the plans, and he laid it out that first morning showing what we were going to do. What we were going to do is add on to the chapel. They had a chapel there, but they didn't have any recreation hall or release society room or kitchen and a, I think a young man's room, plus the gymnasium, we're going to add to the chapel, so it would make a nice chapel out of it. So we laid out the plans, and we, I think the first thing we did is string uh, some uh, 
No, there wasn't rope. It was a heavy string anyway to where we were going to put the foundation and the batter boards and everything like that. And so he set out the uh, excavator, came in there and dug the foundation where it was going to sit. It wasn't a basement. It was just the, found the, uh, the footings and stem wall. And so my job was with Brother Carpenter is to start uh, tearing off the brick on the back of the chapel. And when we started tearing off the, the bricks, we noticed in between the wall and the brick, there's thousands of these great big blue uh, flies. Oh. Just huge. And there's probably, my hand been hundreds out because the whole wall, wall, wall was covered with them. Oh, man. I guess they were getting ready for winter or something. Anyway, we <laughs> let it down. They either died or I don't know what happened to it, but we, they got rid of them all. Did they drive you crazy while you were tearing it off? Did no, they? they were just kind of in dormant state. Oh, they didn't like come at, they didn't uh, like swarm you or anything? No, they didn't do anything. But oh, that was really interesting. We kind of scraped them off the wall. <laughs> And then we, uh, I remember one of my jobs was on the back step. I, they had to take off the back porch, so I was jackhammering that, knocking it down on the cement and stuff like that. And then we set the stem walls and the first the, the footings, and we poured the footings. Then we took, uh, um, set the stem walls and did something like they call a whaler. I don't know if anybody knows what a whaler is. It's a thing they drill a hole in the foundation. They stick these, uh, we call them whalers, in the, the hole, which would uh, stick out and be part of the foundation so they could add on to whatever they wanted to put on. Was it like, was it like, um, it wasn't rebar? Or? No, it was, it was a lot thinner. It was only a big heavy wire with a, a round dot on the uh, on both ends so they could fit it so in that, the whalers. Is that so that they could tie in? Yeah, so the concrete would tie into it. it? And tie in brick and everything else. But anyway, we got the stem walls uh, done and started on the, the floor and we completed the floor. And that gave us a foundation that we could uh, prefab all the walls and, and roof. And so we, we looked at the prints and we got it all out and we laid it out and we prefabbed it so they go up very fast. What we were waiting on were these big laminated beams you've seen in in uh, in gymnasiums before. We were waiting mm -hmm. for those to get here. So and they me, were ordered. So let me stop you for just a second. I'm trying to understand how many missionaries were out there working like what you were doing. How many guys did they have out there? Probably 30 to 40. 30 to 40 in southern, of you. In southern Alberta. They had one in Raymond, one in Warner, one in Champion, uh, one in Fort McLeod. Uh, but I mean, on this specific just building. Me. Just me and Steve. Oh, and, and then who are you working with? And uh, Aaron Hansen, the supervisor. There wasn't very many of you then. No, we had board members come in, and Brother Hansen had to figure out something for them to do. Wow. Yeah, we were doing all the work. Wow, that's crazy. Then we had the uh, members of the ward. They were assigned to do so many hours a week, and they would come in. But we done the, got the floor already, and we had all this, the walls all prefab. And uh, it was getting in the middle of, I think, August or September, and we had to get it closed in because they had pretty severe winters up there. Right. And... 
I said, right. Yeah. So uh, the day the, the beams come, come in, it was raining. So Brother Hansen said, well, we need to get them up, so we're going to do it tomorrow morning. So in our study class, we, uh, Steve and I and Brother Hansen, he says, we're going to have to order a special prayer for this because we need to get those beams up. We need to get the 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 walls up and the roof on so mm -hmm. we can close it before winter hits. So we, uh, at our study class, Brother Hansen said, I'm going to offer a special prayer because it's been raining all week and we need to get them up before winter came in. I remember after the prayer, Steve and I and Brother Hansen went out and we could see about a hundred yards away, the rain was pouring down. Mm -hmm. But where we were, there was a little blue spot of right above the chapel. <laughs> I consider this my first miracle that I've ever seen in my life, but I couldn't believe it. Because it was raining so hard, all the farmers in the community couldn't work in the field, so we had that day 22 people show up. Wow. And they brought two big farm hands, and the beams got there, and all in, in two days, we we put up the beams, and then we set the walls, and put on the roof, and put the, all in two days. And now, it kept us dry, and it, I could, it had to be a miracle, because everything else was wet around there. Right. Did, and, um, how did you set the beams? Did you guys have a crane, or? We had two farmhands. I don't know if you know what a farmhand is. No, what are they? Yes, uh, farmers had things that they lived big bales of hay and, okay, and uh, right. with uh, hydraulics. Okay. So they used these two farmhands to set the beams, and we put big bolts in them and uh, tied it down. And then we had enough people there to get on the roof and put the rafters in and put the plywood on. Wow. And all in two days, it was all completed. Wow. The outside. Uh, because of this, I consider it a miracle. Yeah. I had several miracles that I'll talk about on my, and this kind of the boost of my testimony. I always had a testimony that the church is true uh, because of my parents. Uh, my dad was ward, ward clerk, as long as I can remember. My mother was always in a, the primary situation. In fact, my mother received a 50-year pin for her service in the primary. She started age 12 playing for the junior primary when she was a kid. Anyway... So I was always asked, even I I went to four years of seminary and graduated, and, and uh, I know some people say they had to go on their mission to gain a testimony to the church, but I've always had a testimony. I always knew the gospel was true, which helped me out tremendously. Uh, after we set the walls, we had to do the brickwork, and it was kind of interesting. They brought in a bricklayer, with just one bricklayer to lay this uh, small brick all the way around the, the chapel. And I was kind of like a hod carrier, going mm -hmm. to mix the mortar and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing you didn't, I found out real early, you don't touch the, the bricklayer's trowel because <laughs> he was a journeyman and he didn't want some punk learning how to do brickwork. <laughs> but I learned quite a bit just by watching him because you, you had to know how to set the corners and how he set the corners to make them all level and stuff like that and how they laid the brick and 
tied it into the wall and stuff like that. It was really interesting. Uh, so after the brickwork was done, we put the windows, set the windows, and then we got it closed in that we could go in and work on the sheetrock and and different things in the chapel and in the culture room, and then uh, just a lot of labor work we did. And uh, Steve, he loved to paint, so he did a lot of the painting of the, and I was mostly just to help out and and whatever they needed to be done as a labor. But, uh, I got to appreciate uh, present because a lot of times on plans, when they draw them up, they don't make sense. <laughs> I don't know if you worked with very much blueprints. Right, yeah, they're, they can be very complicated. Very complicated. And he, if he had a question, he always went home and prayed to the Lord that night. Next day, he'd show us what we were going to do. And uh, very spiritual, uh, a lot of fun to be around. He later uh, was assigned to, to build the Tahiti Temple over in Thailand, uh, uh, not Thailand, it was it Tahiti. But anyway, uh, I enjoyed his spirituality. At, during that work mission, we had an opportunity to go uh, to Waterton Park. We went, took a day off because Ben working hard and got all close. He's, he was from uh, Hanson, a little uh, town outside of, uh, uh, not Calgary, uh, what's the, uh, Cardston. And there was a temple there, the Cardston Temple. And he lived about eight or nine miles. It's kind of interesting, Cardston, uh, was one side was were the Mormons and on the other side was called the Blood Indian Reservation, uh, the biggest Indian reservation in I think in Canada. It was huge. Uh, they had a, a big story of how the Mormons come in there and build a temple on, on one side and the Indians on the other. Anyway, going to Waterton Park, it hooked up with Glacier National Park. I don't know if you've ever been to Glacier. It's really a beautiful area. High mountains, lakes all over, snow-packed. Uh, so we had a picnic, and that was one of the good experiences. Also, I remember one time I went into Lethbridge, and I was by myself, and I wanted to see the, the movie Mad, 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 Mad World. Have you ever seen that one? Mm -mm. It's funny. And uh, I had to see it a couple, three times. I went and kept going back. I had to spend my money on something, so it, <laughs> it shows. Anyway, it was a good experience being in uh, Diamond City. we uh tell you another family I stayed with is uh, a family by, well, the next went to Brother Hansen's place. And he had a port, uh, 13 and 14-year-old boy. I think he's 13. Anyway, he loved to ride horses. And he got me on a, a, a bareback on a horse, and they jumped over a log or something, and I fell <laughs> off. And I thought, that's interesting. I didn't know how to hang on to a horse with a bareback. Right. And he that was his thing. He could ride bareback, and they thought it was pretty funny. But uh, I stayed with, uh, with Matt Russell, no, Ken Russell was Matt Russell's brother, the bishop's brother. He had a large family, like seven children. And it was interesting. To, he had a 16-year-old son I became really good friends with. And 
One thing Graham Russell liked to do is make a milkshake every night. <laughs> every night? Every night. You get out these, the milk because they lived on a farm. They had milk and right. get the ice cream and make up a milkshake. He had a mixer and he mixed it up. We had a good time. He'd laugh about it. And because they're farmers, they know how to fix everything. Graham, one time, he, uh, he uh, had these two big Angus steers beautiful steers and he's raising them either for f well future farmers of america or or 4-h i don't know which one it was but they were uh really beautiful great big steers uh one time he he, he took a he was giving them one buck and he gave him two buckets of grain and he killed them both because they bloated on him oh no i thought it was worth a thousand dollars a piece oh no yeah, it was uh, kind of sad. But Graham and I got along. We played a lot of games and stuff. And later on, I took the three, my three youngest children up there, and they didn't really look, they liked it because that was, they rode horses. Tanya and Amber and uh, Tyrell, they rode horses. And another thing, when I was at Brother Russell's house, the bishops, one night we were sitting eating dinner after work, and uh, Bishop got a phone call, which is not unusual, but when he came back to the temple, he said, uh, he says, how would you like to teach the gospel to somebody, Lynn? And I said, well, I don't know, don't know the discussions, but I'm willing to sit in on the, on the, uh, help Brother Hanson anyway. Brother Hanson had this, a farmer gentleman and lived in our ward. And, uh, he met this girl at a dance, I think, and she wouldn't marry him because he wasn't a member of the church. And she says, I'm, not, I'm going to get married in the temple, and that's the only way I'm going to get married. Mm -hmm. And she uh, stuck to her guns. Anyway, Lawrence Watma wanted to marry this gal, and the bishop asked him if I would like to teach him, along with Brother Hanson. I said, sure, I would, because that was part of our thing where we'd go out and do some activity missionary work. So I took, uh, so the bishop invited Lawrence to come to his house and uh, gave him the first lesson and it went good. He agreed with everything. Third, uh, second lesson, he agreed with everything. But on the third lesson after, we talked about baptism. And Bishop Han, I mean, Bishop Hanson, uh, Brother Hanson challenged him to baptism. He says, I wouldn't mind being sprinkled. He says, no, we don't sprinkle in our church. We'd have to do it by immersion. And when Brother Hanson told him he had to do it by immersion, he just, his face so wet, white. He says, that's the only way we baptize in our church. He says, I can't be baptized then. And he explained why he couldn't be baptized. He said when he was about 18 months old, he was left with a babysitter, and she accidentally got the water too hot on the stove and scalded him. He says, uh, there's no way that I can be baptized. He says, I'll be walking along the irrigation ditch, and I fall into a, get my ankles wet, and I just sweat. He says, I've never taken, wow. a, never taken a bath. It's always been with a, with a washcloth and just dampen it and wash myself off says, I've never been swimming, and here you guys are uh, asking me to be completely immersed. Well, no way. Then uh, Brother Hansen said, 
we have in our church we call a priesthood blessing. And he says, oh, and he says, well, I don't know. He says, I'm still scared about water and I can't do it. He says, let's set your baptismal day on that day because it's so important for your eternal marriage and stuff like this. We'll set the day and then we'll have this priesthood blessing for you. Now, we set the day, went to the stake center. I remember going into the Relief Society room and one of the members of the stake presidency came in and gave him a special blessing that he would lose all fear of water and he would be baptized. And it was, it happened. And I asked Lawrence afterwards how he felt. And he said, I didn't feel a thing. And that's, that's the second miracle. <laughs> Then it happened on my mission. I call them miracles because it's this unthinkable. It could happen. Then uh, there was, uh, he was baptized, and a year later he got married to Scal. And, and when we went back, he was in the bishopric and doing what oh, he was really? yeah, supposed to be doing. When you went back with the kids? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. He was in the bishopric, and he had, had two you, or three other kids. Had you stayed in touch with them, or did you no, just show I up? No, I just and... went back to the Graham's place. Did he remember you? Yeah, he did. they remembered me. Wow. And uh, it, he had to do a lot of thinking. Man, here's a guy that couldn't even go swimming, or when he fell on a deer gauge, and it completely lost his fear of water and, and uh, was baptized. Did you talk to him about that story when you went out there? Uh, a little bit, but not, not. I didn't emphasize it. I just, yeah, to me it was a miracle. Okay, next miracle. <laughs> Seems like I had a lot of different experiences that really boosted my testimony of what, how true the gospel really is. Uh, after we, in December, I moved to a, a family that had. Four or five teenager girls. It was kind of their Cox's family. And uh, it was kind of, I'll just put it, interesting living with four teenage girls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, You're living the dream. A couple of them were pretty cute. Too. <laughs> and yeah, they weren't very rich. They had, didn't have a very big room, but so they gave me one of their bedrooms. I don't know where they slept, but I only stayed there two weeks. But during that time, Alberta, 1964-65 winter, had one of the coldest periods ever recorded. It, uh, I think it got 40, uh, 50 below, and with chill, wind chills up to 160 below zero. It was wow. cold. They said pheasants were, they were doing their hay out, of the, you know, feeding their cows, and pheasants would be dead in the, in the haystacks. Wow. They would, uh, a lot of the farmers were losing their cows because it was so cold. And uh, I remember going out. It was so cold. It was bad. I was just were you guys out. working during this time? Were you still working? We were inside this time, by this time. Oh, okay. So you're inside. Yeah, we were finishing up, doing some uh, sheetrock. I remember doing a lot of sanding on sheetrock. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, my... Steve was doing all the painting, so I didn't have to worry about that. But anyway, we were doing some final touches. Then they came to us in January and said, we're got Fort McLeod. It needs some more help over at Fort McLeod. And it was about 30 miles away. It was uh, 
a regular brand new chapel we were building there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had the brickwork done, but a lot of the cement work out on the, for the sidewalks were. I was able to go out and help him. Uh, that was my job to go make sure the sidewalks were tamped, and you know you use a tamper to make them strong. Uh, you know, right? So they wouldn't shrink and stuff like that. And, and we poured a lot of sidewalks. One thing I I did when we were there, we had to set the the steeple, the uh, lightning rod. And you know all the LDS steeples, how uh, how pointed they are. Yeah. And one thing we had to do is I had to crop with some companions, and put scaffolding around the steeple. And it's about thirty six, I don't know, sixty feet tall up there. Mm-hmm. And you pack the scaffolding on your shoulder and climb up and then set it, then brace it. And it was an interesting spirit. I lost my fear of heights. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I could crawl like a monkey up, you know, being big. And were you it. were you afraid prior to this experience, or no? I don't or did think this I just ever, help you come over it. No, I overcame it. If I was I have a fear of heights, but anyway, we set the scaffold. And I remember I was one of the people to help him drag it back the steeple up the the side of the scaffolding, and got wow. up and had to set it up on top. There three or four of us that did that, but it was pretty heavy and. and I bet. Created light. When I went back, the steeple was still up there, so. I <laughs> <laughs> didn't fall down. Didn't fall down. Good job. I met uh, four other work missionaries besides Steve, actually five other. There's uh, Laurel Kent. He was from uh, Malada, Idaho. And uh, David Rands was from California. And they were good, good work missionaries. They know how to work. One of his dad was in the state presidency, and they were out there to work. Some of the work missionaries were called because if they couldn't go on to some of the bishops thought, if they couldn't go on a full-time mission, let's send them on a work mission. Right. And so we got some pretty scummy people. I'll admit it. That didn't want to be out there? They didn't want to be out there, and they, they shouldn't have been out there because, of, you know. But that's how they treated it sometimes. As a work missionary, we could dance. We could date. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so did you date while you were out there? No. Uh, I wasn't interested in hooking up with any, any connect Canucks. But anyway, <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say, I lost my thought. Lawrence? Uh, not Lawrence. Uh, anyway, there's a guy by the name of Joe Borg. He was from, from Idaho Falls, and he shouldn't have been on a mission. He was immature, his mother fought his battles, and he happened to be a son of a doctor, and mm-hmm. they knew he couldn't go on a full-time mission, so they sent him on a work mission. And his mother was always sending him extra money, and he was always bragging how much money he had. We <laughs> kind of resented it, but going go back to Laurel Kent and David Rands, uh, they liked to play basketball. Laurel loved to play basketball. Mm-hmm. He was an excellent bas- basketball player. And so I like to play basketball too, but I wasn't good as Laurel, but he, he was an outstanding basketball player. Anyway, he got a game at Pitcher Butte, which is about 40 miles away from Fort McLeod. So we all piled in a, a couple of cars, and we were, go, we were going over and play pitcher, uh, 
Pitcher Butte Ward and uh, headed out and we were all sitting in the cars and it was getting, it was after work, so it was about six or seven, and the, it was getting late at night and it was really dusk and we came up over this hill, this small hill, and here said about 12, 10 to 12 horses in the middle of the road. And I don't know who was driving, but we missed the horses. I could see them going by us. And uh, there's another miracle. We could have hit and could have killed us all. Because yeah. a horse will come right through your windshield because they're so right. high up. Right. And I consider that a blessing. <laughs> and we, we, Lorel said, I don't know how we made it. I just don't know how we made it. But we did. So. Uh, we went and played the game. I think we won. I didn't think they had a very good team, but we won the basketball game. <laughs> but uh, had another work missionary. His, his name was Sweeney, Chuck Sweeney. And he told me he was a professional wrestler <laughs> from uh, Ontario, Canada, and he's waiting for his visa to come through. And... Uh, <laughs> So I had a wrestling I don't see how he could be a professional wrestler. Not a wrestling become times beating pretty easy. But uh we had some good times. We had some good times together. Uh so there's what three or four uh things that I talked about or miracles in my life. We uh we're finishing up on Fort McLeod right around May. And Brother uh, Covington, who was our supervisor, uh, he he came to us and he said, uh, we're going to be assigned to go to the Missoula, open up a stake center, and we need to haul a bunch of stuff down there. So mm -hmm. we all piled in, these, uh, in the pickup. That's where we could ride them back. There's six missionaries plus, uh, let's see, we left two Canadians up there because they couldn't get visas across the border. So, uh, Air, uh, Covington, Dale Covington was his supervisor. He was very big in construction, knew a lot about it, and he was a very good supervisor. And uh, just like Brother Hanson, but so we headed off to Missoula and we got down there and, and, uh, we had to go through Glacier, Glacier National Park, which was just beautiful. And I remember the seeing the snow as high as their ceilings going in some of these uh, snow drifts that they plowed out and we get, 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 got through. So just driving through these things yeah. where the snow was way well up way above up. the car. Yeah. That would be super interesting to do. And we got down there and we dropped off what we had to take down and uh, we had to go back to get some more stuff. So. It was like from Missoula to there, it was like six, five or 600 miles. So it was a pretty good road uh, drive down there. But they wanted us to start a new stake center. And so Dave Rands and Steve Carpenter and, and uh, myself and Joe Borg. And there's one other guy. I can't, I wasn't very familiar with or worked with it. Anyway, we got down there, it was about five or six missionaries, and plus Brother Covington, who's our supervisor. And, uh, we started uh, laying out for this big stake center. Mm -hmm. I remember it was one of the largest stake centers and had the white brick and everything. And uh, 
setting the stem walls and stuff like that took us a couple, three weeks, but the state president owned a cement company and he had the forms that, uh, the metal forms he could set. I don't know if you ever seen, so you latch them together mm -hmm. and you could create anything. And, and there was a long back wall. I remember on some of these stake centers that they were quite large. And so we did the stem walls and the, they had to do a boiler room and we hooked it all together and it worked good. And we had to spray the, the, the forms and stuff like that with the oil so we could get them off. And I learned a lot about concrete work and how it could get very difficult. Got the walls all poured. And, and uh, one day we had to do uh, a floor which had about 70 yards of cement. And I don't know if you know how much 70 yards of cement it's a lot. A lot of cement. We had three power trials and what my job was along with the other work missionaries where we, we didn't have power screeds. You know how to screed cement? Mm-hmm. Where you sit there and yeah. screed it. With anyway, the, we You I stick a big tired. board across and you drag it across to drag off the excess. And you screed it back and forth. Off, yeah. Now they have power screeds to not, uh, do the job. And then I remember we all had trials and we were trialing all this and then we had three power trials and all in one day and that was a lot of cement. Wow. And uh, it it was kind of fun. I think we started at four and got done about eight or nine at night and kind of watch it and make sure it cured properly and stuff. And then we brought the bricklayers in. They had a huge uh, the uh, the chapel was did, done mostly out of block. So they we had to furnish them the block and and I was kind of like a hod carry that supplied and made sure all the I don't know how we ever made it to have these scaffolding we set up and uh, put these uh, two by 12s were about 10 or 15 feet long. And we used to take this cement, we used to bounce along the, up the scaffold. I had a elevator that used to drag it up. And, and uh, I don't know how we ever made it. The next miracle I'll talk about is uh, I was, uh, in the football, I like football, and anyway, Missoula was playing Butte, and one of the ward members, he was an 18-year-old kid, he said, if you want to go to Butte? I said, yeah, let's we'll go out after work. It doesn't start till 8 or something. We could, it takes about an hour, an hour and a half, maybe two to get over there. Mm -hmm. It was quite a drive, and anyway, they had a good football team, and Missoula had, they're, they're kind of the rivals, and so we drove over there, and I think that Missoula won. And on the way back, it was about 1.30 in the morning, and uh, uh, my 18-year-old kid was driving this pickup. And we were going along the road, and I was sleepy, and I was sitting in the middle, and Laurel Kent was on the other side. And I remember Laurel waking up, and he says, Are you okay? You're not sleepy. Oh, no, I'm not sleepy. About Five minutes later, he's in the ditch. Oh, no. And uh, it was about a four-foot ditch. We went down and hit it, and I bounced around. I was sitting in the middle. I went over and hit the kid and bruised his shoulder, swung back and hit Laurel. All I think I can saw, see this uh, road sign flapping down. We ran right over the road sign. That's when I woke up. and 
I stuck my hand in the race and I broke out the window. I grabbed her gear shift and I stuck it way up in the thing. That, and they always accused me of bouncing around and, and uh, uh, ruining her pickup because <laughs> I took that gear shift that, that was on the floor and just stuck it up, grabbed a hold and stuck it up in the corner. Anyway, we didn't get home to about 6 o'clock. We had to be at work at 7, so it was oh, kind of no. a tough night. Anyway, the police and the sheriff, and we got, all they finally got back, all right. And you guys still went to work there the next day? All yeah. Day? Wow, it's hard the, for... The, the miracle was, is along this highway that we were traveling on was a big river. And where we went off was just happened to be a wide... A uh, white spot in the road that had this irrigation ditch. Mm -hmm. If it was a mile or two miles down the road, we went rid of running this big river. You're just gone straight into the river. Right, straight in the river. Wow. And I got to thinking, I don't want to die in a river like that. Yeah. And uh, so I think the Lord is protecting us quite a bit out there. Uh, it, was, it was good hard work in our mission. And uh, we gained quite a bit of strength. It was interesting living with different families because I would see how each family worked. Yeah, it would be interesting. And uh, I can remember the Cowley family I stayed with first. Uh, they had a grandson, either a grandson or he's a late kid, but they were in their 60s probably. Mm -hmm. And I stayed with them for two weeks, and I went over and stayed with... Uh, with a, a person who taught at the university there, University of Montana. Mm -hmm. He's kind of interesting guy to talk to and, you know, very brilliant and stuff. Then I, I remember that when I was in Fort McLeod, I stayed out on an Indian reservation for two weeks. Who'd you stay with out there? Just somebody who ran the reservation. Interesting. <laughs> and it was about a 40-mile drive out there to the Indian reservation. Uh -huh. And... Uh, Seeing the Indians and they looking at you, what are you doing out here? You know, <laughs> you're a white boy. But I just remember the road. I remember one time uh, I stayed with a family in Fort McLeod that was very wealthy. He owned uh, some auction houses and they used to auction out cattle and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. Really a beautiful home, and it's kind of fun to stay there and see everything and how they yeah. arrange things. Yeah. But staying with families, you, you learned how to, you know, eat what they ate and stuff like that. It could have been too picky. But I really enjoyed uh, my work mission. Uh, in August, they came to us and they said, we're discontinuing the work mission. And so who was? Who was discontinuing The it? church. Okay. So how, long, how, how long were you planning on being out there? Two years. So, so you, I, you've been out about a year and a half? Yeah, or just a over a year? A year and over a little over a year. Okay. Uh, about a year and three, two or three so they months. They said they're discontinuing they, it. And they're saying they're doing away. I think they had some problems with some of the work missionaries. Uh -huh. Like I said, some of the work missionaries shouldn't have been out there. But uh, so I called and talked to my parents about it, and they said, well, you can go on a full-time mission. And we want to encourage anybody who could go on full-time mission I went on a full-time mission. So I got back and was interviewed by the stake president and God, I went on a, but I really enjoyed my work mission. I enjoyed uh, the people I worked with, most of them. 
and uh, the families I stayed with and stuff. Interesting. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. I remember in Diamond City one time, I have to tell you this story because uh, your mom, I mean, uh, Tanya and, and Amber and Tyrell will remember it. Uh, up in the, staying with Graham Russell, they had a big place down on the, they called the Old Man River. Mm-hmm. They called down in the Coolies. It's kind of a ranch down there that they had. And they put their cattle down there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so on the way down there one time, we, we ran across a great big rattlesnake. It was about three feet long. And the funny thing about this rattlesnake, it was... Uh, this is on your mission. Yeah. Okay. This is on my work mission. Okay. This is, uh, it was green. And yellowish green color. I would never thought a rattlesnake would be that color. Me neither. And this one uh, just happened to be, and uh, I don't can't remember if we killed it or chased it off the road or what we did with it. I probably killed it, but uh, when Tyrell and, and Tanya and Amber went back with me, we got talking about snakes and rattlesnakes. How we how we saw this big rattlesnake, right? And then Graham says, "I know where there's a whole den of them." Uh-huh. And so they went back with the kids, and uh, we could hear them just rattling. Wow. Several of them just... <laughs> we were up on the road. We could look down, and the kids wouldn't move because they were scared to rattlesnakes. <laughs> I'd get out and throw a rock in down there, and they just start rattling. Hold in them. That's cool. Yeah, it was interesting. But the funny thing is about there's a nice house about... A couple of hundred yards away from this den. Man. You know, they know they had to be hitting snakes all the time, but... Uh, let's see, what else? I think I've talked enough about that. Okay, cool. So we'll do another recording another time on your other missions. Okay. I'd like to hear about those. Yeah. All right, thanks. Thanks.